Welcome to Columbus Perspective, a weekly public affairs presentation of The Fan. I'm Dave James. The Special Olympics has an event coming up on the Ohio State campus next month. Kate Burdett has information about that in a moment. Ohio's Democratic Senator Sherrod Brown has been visiting East Palestine on a regular basis since that toxic train derailment back in February. He was there again this week, and we have a brief update from him. In about 15 minutes, Dr. Bruce Vanderhoff, director of the Ohio Department of Health, has an update on what's going around this time of year. Courtesy of our sister station, WBNS-10-TV, Doug Petcash has an update on legislation being considered at the State House. talks to a doctor and the executive director of the Susan G. Komen Foundation for Central Ohio about breast cancer and to the CEO of Goodwill Columbus. And I'll wrap up the hour talking with a doctor from the American Lung Association talking about COPD. Kate Burdett, and if you live in Ohio, specifically in Columbus, you are probably keenly aware that very, very soon, one of the largest rivalries in college football is going to take place. I am, of course, referring to Ohio State versus Michigan. If you didn't know, Saturday, the 25th of November, right after Thanksgiving. And right before that big game, something equally as large, is happening on campus. I'm joined today by Riley Logan. She is an Ohio State University student and the president of the OSU Special Olympics Club. They are putting on a very special event to raise money for the athletes of Special Olympics in Ohio. Welcome, Riley, to Columbus Perspective. Thank you. Thank you. I'm so excited. Tell me a little bit about the OSU Special Olympics Club. What is it that you do? on campus and off. Yeah, so Special Olympics, um, obviously we work very closely with Special Olympics Ohio. We do lots of fundraisers on campus. Um, last last year we did a sticker sale on the Oval just to try and raise some funds to donate. Um, we also are currently working very closely with the Young Athletes Program um, with Columbus City Schools, and that's every Thursday we go over to Dominion Middle School and we work with children of all abilities, um, age two to seven, um, and that's just because you have to be eight years old to participate in Special Olympics. So it's a super fun time. Everybody loves doing it. Uh, we really just it's like a field day for little kids. And we just run around and play with, you know, little five and seven year olds. <laughs> What's wrong with that? That sounds like a lot of fun. I think we could all use a break like that in our weeks. Yep. <laughs> Special Olympics, of course, has existed for more than 50 years. It was founded by Eunice Kennedy Shriver to provide sports competition opportunities for people with intellectual disabilities. More than 20,000 Special Olympics athletes participate here in Ohio, and they have the opportunity to not only participate in their communities or at the state level, but even at the national and international level. It's an amazing program with any sport you might imagine, and it really is a very competitive kind of environment for these athletes. Riley, what was it that attracted you to volunteering with Special Olympics? Well, honestly, I've been uh, participating in the Columbus Polar Plunge um, that Special Olympics Ohio hosts for about, I would say, probably nine years now. I've been doing it since since it was at the Columbus Zoo. So if that tells you anything, that was a while ago. They've switched I switched locations like three times, I think. But um, my my dad has been doing it for I think I think next year will be his 16th year. Um, so he really got me into it, um, and it's it's just been super fun. It's a great organization to support. Um, I love their their goal of inclusive of inclusivity, um, and yeah, it's just a super fun time. 
The polar plunge is what Riley mentioned, and that is the point of today's conversation. As you may know, throughout the winter months, Special Olympics all over the world, Special Olympics programs, I should say, put on these events where you are encouraged to jump into very cold water, either a swimming pool or run into a lake or pond or or a river and do some freezing for a reason. That is, I believe, their official terminology for it, to raise money and support and to raise awareness for the athletes of Special Olympics Ohio. This year, an inaugural event is happening on the Ohio State campus, thanks to Riley and her cohorts in the OSU Special Olympics Club, in addition to the Buckeye Buddies organization and the OSU fraternity chapter Phi Sigma Kappa. They have teamed up to put on a polar plunge to kick off Beat Michigan Week. Riley, tell us more about this event that you have planned. Yeah, we are so, so excited for this event. So it's going to start at 10.30 a.m. We encourage everybody to register beforehand on our website. Uh, But if you need to, when you show up, you can, you know, show up, put down your name and give us 50 bucks for your registration fee um, or for, you know, a contribution. Um, And when you once you register, you're guaranteed a towel that will be branded with um, Ohio State and Special Olympics stuff on it. And then if you raise up to $250, you'll also get a super comfy crew neck. And what college student doesn't love a free crew neck? Um, and it'll have a really cool design for the event. Um, so it'll start start at 1030. You can show up, start, start getting your wristbands, getting in line. Um, and then jumping into the actual pool will start um, at around 11.30. And the actual event will be held on the Lincoln Tower Park basketball courts um, on campus by, if you're familiar with campus, I'm sure you know about Lincoln and Morrill, those two towers. Um, so it's it's kind of in that area in between the shoe um, and then also the RPAC, the big gym on campus. So we'll be jumping there. There'll be music. Um, sheets will also be there. They're going to be donating some hot chocolate to keep everybody warm. And then also there's delicious chocolate chip cookies that everybody loves. So, yeah, it's going to be just a big party celebrating all of our fundraising efforts. Um, and we could not be more excited to to have it for the first year. It is Sunday, November 19th. That is the Sunday that kicks off the week of one of the biggest rivalries I personally have ever witnessed. And if you have ever been in or around Columbus, specifically on game day, you know what the intensity of this rivalry is like. What better yeah. way for a Buckeye football fan to show their support? of the team and to actually support a really fantastic cause here in Ohio. Now, Riley, correct me if I'm wrong, but is there also kind of a fundraising rivalry going on between Ohio State University and the University of Michigan? Absolutely. And that is the best part, in my opinion. So we're going to beat them not only on the field, but in the fundraising battle. Um, So they will be hosting their Polar Plunge same day, same time. They'll be starting their jump at the same time. Uh, Obviously, different campuses. Um, But it's it's a really uh, well-coordinated effort to we're you know, we're both raising funds. Um, They're raising funds for Special Olympics of Michigan and we're raising funds for Special Olympics Ohio. Um, And we are we're super excited to turn this event um, and make it, you know, another friendly battle, another friendly, friendly form of rivalry uh, between the two campuses. I cannot think of a better way to compete, and I cannot think of better football fans than Ohio State football fans to win that challenge. Now, I know for many years for Ohio State students, and maybe there are some alumni listening who think back to Michigan Week, there was a longstanding tradition 
of students jumping into something. Um, For various reasons, there is no longer a lake on campus to do that. So again, what a great opportunity to show that spirit for your Buckeye football team than to participate in this polar plunge and then really raise some money for a great cause. Uh, Riley, where can we find more information about this online? Um, so there is a website, the 2023 OSU versus TTUN Polar Plunge. Uh, that's the official name of the event. Uh, and you can go on there and you can register to um, create your own team or you can join a team. Um, and then from there, you can just share out your link to family and friends and ask for donations. Um, every every amount counts, even if it's literally just $3, it's all going to, to the same place. Um, and it's going to it's going to help out no matter what. So we encourage you, especially if you're an OSU student um, or part of an OSU club on campus, if you're a graduate undergrad, um, create a team, show your school spirit, show up and, you know, help us celebrate. And is registration restricted to just students or can anyone listening right now sign up and become involved? Um, we do ask the OSU students uh uh, sign up and create their teams. However, I mean, the more the merrier. We were definitely welcome to, if any alumni organizations want to create a team, um, come out and freeze for a reason with us. <laughs> I love it. And that, from personal experience, I can say that online fundraising portal is really easy to use, super social media friendly, and you would not believe how quickly the donations add up when you when you share that on your social channels. It really is a, a quick and easy way to raise money. Again, this is happening Sunday, November 19th at Ohio State University, right by those matching dorm towers, Morrill and Lincoln, on the Lincoln basketball courts. 11 a.m. is when all the fun kicks off, and you can go to the uh, Special Olympics Ohio website also to be linked to the registration website for the inaugural Ohio State versus that team up north, Polar Plunge. (laughs) (laughs) Riley Logan, I know you are a Polar Plunge veteran, as you mentioned. (laughs) To finish us up today, can you offer any wise words of advice to anyone that says, I have never done a polar plunge. I would love to try it, but I need some advice. What's the best advice you'd give to a first time plunger? The best advice I can give is don't think, just jump. <laughs> it's it's super fun. And I mean, afterwards, you, you kind of don't feel anything because you're so cold. So you just run, you go change. And afterwards, you just, you know, you keep partying, you keep celebrating. You listen, you know, there's music, there might be um, some food trucks that we can get to pull up. So it's really just an overall good time. Um, and it's it's worth it to be cold for a little a little bit. <laughs> Absolutely. The Ohio State versus TTUN Polar Plunge, Sunday, the 19th of November, all to benefit Special Olympics Ohio. Riley Logan, president of the Ohio State University Special Olympics Club, thank you so much for your time, and we look forward to freezing for a reason with you. Of course. Thank you. Columbus Perspective is a public affairs presentation of WBNS Radio. The opinions expressed on this program are those of its guests and do not necessarily reflect those of WBNS Radio, its staff, management, or sponsors. This is Columbus Perspective on the Fan. 
Ohio's Democratic U.S. Senator Sherrod Brown recently went to East Palestine. On occasion, we have just a moment or two to talk to him, and I had a chance on Thursday of this week to discuss that visit with the senator, nearly nine months now after that Norfolk Southern train derailment. Uh, we were there. First of all, the, the cleanup is, um, I, we did an inspection of the cleanup there, the, the contaminated dirt and all that that they're hauling out mostly to, to Indianapolis um, is uh, almost complete. There's 10% of it left. Um, how important that is. I also met with some business leaders, or some small business people, really, um, at a place called the 1820 Candle Company. Um, and we announced grants to, well, not really grants, 1% loans from the United States Department of Agriculture uh, to make sure that uh, that people that want to expand businesses, start businesses, can get on their feet after what happened earlier in the year with the derailment. So um, we, we met a number of small business people who might be interested in those loans. Um, they have to pay them back, but they're 1%. Obviously, it's a good interest rate. And we know that growth in East Palestine is going to be around small businesses. And so I've been to that community, I believe, seven times, maybe eight times since the derailment in February uh, I'm going back and when the cameras are off or whatever, I'm going back until people really are back on their feet. That's health care, long-term health care. It's the price of their homes getting that stabilized. It's people fully moving back into their homes and making sure that, that um, all the contaminated dirt and water is cleaned up or hauled away. Uh, and that, that agriculture, that farms especially, uh, know that they can go back to, to normal and sell their milk and sell their crops uh, without anybody, any consumers having any fears of contamination. And we're, we're almost entirely there on the last part. Does it bother you that President Biden hasn't been there yet? Uh, no, I, what, I, what, I mean, everybody's going to take political shots at presidents of either party on whatever and think. No, we, I, what, what we have immediately, I called the White House immediately. EPA was there. Immediately FEMA was there. The governor and I have worked bipartisanly, of course, in making things happen there. Presidents coming into those places tends to be a distraction because everything's about security and everything's about, about taking care to make it safe. And, and, um, but his people have been there consistently. I've been there. Bill Johnson, the Republican congressman, and I were there this past week together. Um, we'll continue to work together to make sure that, one, we get people back on their feet and return to normalcy. And second, that we pass our bipartisan rail safety bill. Um, we're trying to get more bipartisan support. Senator Vance, my colleague, and I have worked on this since about April. Uh, it takes too long, but we're going to keep at it until we get this bill to make so, so these kinds of derailments don't happen again. There have been seven or eight derailments in Ohio in the last two years. Fortunately, the only one that carried hazardous materials was this one, but the others could have been disastrous. And at the same time, these tra- these rail companies, they block, they block communities so firefighters can't get across tracks in emergencies for rescue squads, whatever. Kids have to sometimes crawl over them around the, the cars because they're stopped and blocking ways to school. And the railroads have to be held more accountable, and that's what I'm fighting for every day. Senator, thanks so much for your time today. Thanks, Dave. Ohio's Democratic U.S. Senator Sherrod Brown. Also on Thursday, Dr. Bruce Vanderhoff, director of the Ohio Department of Health, held a brief news conference to update Ohioans on what's going around this time of year and also to talk about vaping and kids. Here's Dr. Bruce Vanderhoff. This lasts about seven or eight minutes. Well, fall is fully upon us now in Ohio. And as many of you know, while it is certainly a time to enjoy colorful leaves and football games, it also marks the onset of respiratory virus season. Thankfully, so far... 
we have seen minimal influenza and RSV. Typically, we'd expect to see these start to appear, though, in the coming weeks. In terms of COVID-19, the very good news is that the small wave of cases we saw in August and September seems to be receding. The first two weeks of October saw our case counts drop 35%. But as I said, the heart of respiratory virus season still lies ahead of us. And as we get deeper into fall, we should expect some combination of RSV, influenza, and COVID-19 to increase. The good news is that we have vaccines for all these illnesses now in our toolbox. In addition to the flu vaccine that many of us are accustomed to receiving every year around this time, we now also have an RSV shot for infants eight months of age or younger and an RSV vaccine for those who are 60 and older who might be at increased risk for respiratory illness due to their own personal medical history. And, of course, we have the new COVID-19 vaccine that was approved and recommended by the FDA and CDC last month. Now, so far, nearly 500,000 Ohioans have received this vaccine, or slightly more than 4% of the population. It's recommended for everyone six months of age or older, but it's particularly important for those who are age 65 and older or who are immunocompromised. So far, about 14% of Ohioans 65 and older have, in fact, received the new vaccine. I'd encourage anyone who has not received these shots, especially if you fall into a high-risk group, to do so promptly in order to protect yourself and those around you before we get into the heart of our respiratory virus season. Now, I'd like to turn to a topic that may seem a bit like old news, the serious health threats posed by tobacco and nicotine. These include risks posed, though, by some new delivery methods and substances that continue to endanger us, including our youngest children, in new ways. Let's be clear. Nicotine, in whatever form it's delivered, is dangerous. It doesn't matter if that's by cigarette or a vape pen. Nicotine is harmful and can lead to addiction. Smoking or vaping has a chemical impact also to your lungs. The Ohio Department of Health has been working very hard over the years through numerous programs to bring down Ohio's smoking rate and, in more recent years, to combat a rise in youth vaping. When Governor Mike DeWine took office in 2019, he became a leader in this effort, working to pass legislation such as the Tobacco 21 law in October 2019 that made selling any type of tobacco or nicotine products to Ohioans under the age of 21 a criminal offense. Now, I'm pleased to see signs that these efforts really are working. Ohio's adult smoking rate has fallen from 25.5% in 2011 
to 18% in 2021. In terms of our youth, the Ohio Department of Health saw some promising trends show up in the Ohio Youth Risk Behavior Study that the department conducts every other year to monitor the health risks and behaviors of youth in Ohio. The 2021 data is the most recent available, and it showed that vaping use dropped substantially between 2019 and 2021. The number of students who reported currently using a vape product fell among our middle schoolers from 11.9% to 9%. And for our high schoolers, those reported those who were reporting current vape use, that statistic fell from 29.8% to 20%. Now, as promising as these statistics sound, there is still much work to be done. In fact, Ohio's adult smoking rate, while improving, remains above the national average. And over the past few years, Ohio and the nation are seeing a new rising danger. We all know that secondhand smoking can cause serious harm to others. But now I want to raise the alarm that the liquid in e-cigarettes or vaping devices are proving to be an increasing risk for our young children. This liquid can contain nicotine, THC, CBD, flavors, or some combination of those. Young children can be poisoned by swallowing the liquid, taking a cough if they've seen someone else use it, or even from absorbing it through their skin or eyes. The number of e-cigarette exposures reported to the Ohio Poison Centers has nearly tripled in the past seven years, from 130 in 2015 to 360 in 2022. And data so far in this year, 2023, signals yet another likely increase with 328 exposures just through September. And what is most concerning is that the majority of those exposures, more than 70%, have been reported among children ages five years of age and younger. The raw numbers since 2015 through the first half of 2023 are 1,762 exposures, and 1,301 of those have been in children five and under. Dr. Bruce Vanderhoff, director of the Ohio Department of Health, from a news conference on Thursday of this week. This is Columbus Perspective on the Fan. Ladies and gentlemen, we have arrived in Philadelphia. Local time is 3.05 p.m. and the temperature is 67 degrees. At this time, you are now free to use your cellular devices. You know that feeling when you get to turn your phone on after the plane lands? You can have that feeling every time you drive. Make sure your cell phone is stowed away whenever you are behind the wheel. Visit StopTextStopRex.org, a message brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration, Project Yellow Light, and the Ad Council. We don't want you on our team. You're too slow and fat. This is weight bias. I'm worried about your weight. Don't you care what other people think? Millions who live and are affected by obesity face weight bias every day. 
You're not the right fit for this job. Unfair judgment by others. Just stop eating so much and exercise some. You lose all this weight. These people often blame themselves. It's just me. Nobody likes me. I do exercise and eat right. And I talk to my doctor. Weight bias hurts. Everyone deserves to be treated with dignity and respect. Your words and actions matter. Let's stop weight bias. Let's work together. Be part of the solution. Go to StopWeightBias.com and learn more. A public service message from Obesity Action Coalition. Good Sunday morning. Ahead today on Face the State, what's being done in the fight against breast cancer? In this Breast Cancer Awareness Month, we're exploring the research underway right here in Columbus and the resources available to help patients take control of their health. Plus, filling the jobs of today and tomorrow. For many, it started with the cutting of a ribbon. How Goodwill Columbus is working to help people land those jobs and help businesses fill a big need. This is Columbus Perspective on the Fan. Courtesy of our sister station, WBNS 10 TV, here's Doug Petcash from his Sunday morning public affairs program, Face the State. A new edition can be seen this morning at 1130 on 10 TV. Thanks for joining us for Face the State. I'm Doug Petcash. First Lady Dr. Jill Biden visited Columbus for the second time in three months to focus on the workforce of tomorrow. Back in May, the Biden administration named Columbus one of five workforce hubs across the country. The First Lady came here in July for the launch and came back to see how things are going and to hear from students. The First Lady toured the Construction, Arts and Auto Technology Building at the Fort Hayes Metropolitan Education Center to see the types of skills students Students are learning. She then held a roundtable with the principal of Fort Hayes, high school and college students, and workers. The Workforce Hub is an initiative to help train Ohio's future workforce to meet the demand for more skilled workers at a time when major employers such as Intel are moving in. The White House says she came to check on the progress being made by the Columbus workforce and to talk to students about career pathways to good jobs. So I'm here to tell you that there just isn't one pathway to success. You know, there are so many good options. And you may start on one path and then you may finish on another. So, you know, it's not easy to figure out your life at 19 years old. I mean, I know I hadn't. Since the Columbus Workforce Hub launched in May, Columbus State Community College started offering two classes in its new semiconductor certificate program. It also started an earn and learn partnership with the company Amgen to get students ready for biomanufacturing jobs at its new facility. Dr. Biden's visit is part of the administration's Investing in America tour. Ohio lawmakers are cracking down on pornography. State representatives introduced the Innocence Act in the State House. The legislation would make it illegal for people younger than 18 to view sexually explicit content. To do that, it would require any person in the state to verify their age before accessing pornographic websites. The bill's sponsors say it's all about protecting kids. The act would also prohibit selling deep fakes. Those are sexual images that have been manipulated using artificial intelligence. AI experts say people can use the technology to make fake images of children engaged in sexual acts. Ohio's attorney general is already taking action against this exploitation. He's urging Congress to create a commission to combat this issue. 
in the last year or so, as we've started seeing these deep fake videos and, and chatbot and GPT and some of the uh, visually oriented uh, artificial intelligence, um, my colleagues and I have been increasingly concerned about what this could mean for victimization, sexual um, depictions of children. As a father of two young boys, I've grown concerned about the risk that pornography poses to young men in terms of normalizing violence and aggression against women and the devaluing of consensual, meaningful relationships. If passed, pornography distributors would be charged with a third-degree felony if they didn't verify the age of someone accessing their website. And if a minor tries to watch porn by lying about their age, they would be charged with a fourth-degree misdemeanor. There's a new Ohio bill right now that has a lot of opposition. House Bill 183 would require all public schools and colleges in the state to mandate that students can only use the bathroom or locker room that matches the sex they were assigned at birth. The Republican lawmaker who introduced the bill says he did this in the name of public safety. It's about community standards, and people across Ohio do not want biological males in female restrooms. But more than 100 people showed up to the state house to voice their opposition, saying this is discrimination against transgender people. I don't want to have to leave Ohio to complete my degree just because I can't find a place to use the restroom in a timely manner on uh, Columbus State campus. Right now, the bill is in the House Higher Education Committee. Governor Mike DeWine signed the so-called Scouts Honor Bill into law. House Bill 35 eliminates the statute of limitations period to file a civil lawsuit against a bankruptcy estate for childhood sexual abuse. This bill paves the way for Ohioans who were abused by Boy Scout leaders to get the full amount owed to them after a major bankruptcy settlement by the organization. The Ohio House of Representatives passed the Ohio Homeowners Relief Act. It would change how often the state does property evaluations from six years down to three years. The Senate is working on passing similar legislation right now with hopes to create a better tax rate for Ohioans. Last month, State Senator George Lang told us why he thinks a six-year evaluation creates an unrealistic jump in inflation over time. It's not a real value uh, based on what the market can bear or what it's going to bear in the future. And there are so many people that we have that are on a fixed income. And for those people, this is not fair at all. The Ohio Homeowners Relief Act now heads to the Ohio Senate for consideration. New affordable housing is now available in downtown Columbus. City leaders unveiled a 98-unit building that they say is the first of many future projects of affordable housing downtown. 10TV's Tara Jabour has details on how it's bringing life to downtown. One, two, three. From the groundbreaking in 2022. One, two, and three. To the ribbon cutting today, the Topiary Park Crossing apartments are officially open. The five-story building is bringing affordable housing to the historic district. Everybody in Columbus, regardless of uh, where you work, where your lifestyles are, what your economic situation is, this project is one of many to come uh, that are forging the pathway for uh, Columbus's best neighborhood. Mayor Andrew Ginther says this project is a part of making downtown more inclusive and vibrant. It's also about allowing anyone who wants to live downtown the opportunity to do so. No resident, none of our neighbors, 
should have to spend more than 30 percent of their income to live in safe housing in a neighborhood of their choice. Ginther believes as the city continues to grow, they'll have to continue to provide more affordable housing. We believe that this is an economic development issue. If we want to continue to create jobs, we're the fastest growing economy in the Midwest. We've created 27,000 jobs in the last eight years, uh, but we aren't building enough housing. City Council President Shannon Hardin asked, can the city get better as we get bigger? He says these apartments are the perfect example of doing so. Downtown is everybody's neighborhood, and it's one of the greatest neighborhoods because of all the amenities that are already here. So this is the courtyard. And people will start moving into the apartments on Friday. We spoke to a graduate student at OSU who moved here from Georgia. He jumped at the opportunity to live downtown. I do like... Uh, being close to like businesses and stores and things like that. Ali says living at Topiary Park Crossing will set him up for a successful future. I want to be able to at least put a down payment on the house after graduate school. And so it's going to help me at least save close to around a down payment amount. And that was 10TV's Tara Jabour with that report. VR headsets are starting to become a lot more popular, whether they're for playing interactive video games or exploring fun landscapes. But did you know they can also be used for educational purposes right here in central Ohio? Nearly 300 students from across Columbus got the chance to test that out. Meta is partnering up with COSI to bring the metaverse to local students. While these headsets are used for video games, they can also be used as a resource for students to explore different countries and time periods. Officials add the VR headsets are expensive and sometimes families can't afford them. I think VR allows us to go to a known other world that probably some of us never saw, but also experienced too. It's all about exposure. You know, if we can expose our kids to good things and, and, and great opportunities, the sky's the limit. COSI is working with Meta to try to utilize VR headsets in more school visits later this year. Coming up on Face the State, looking for a good job in a growing field? Goodwill Columbus might be able to help you train for one for free. We'll tell you what's going on in this new center. And raising awareness about breast cancer and raising the odds of beating it. What's being done in the fight against the most common cancer in women in the United States? My muscles ached. I was tired all the time. My son had a full-blown asthma attack. It came out of nowhere. The unsettling thing about some symptoms is... I had a fever and these terrible headaches. You don't always know what's causing them. It was Lyme disease from a tick bite. I had Zika virus from a mosquito. He had a reaction to cockroach allergens. Threats to your health can come from unexpected places. Get the facts. Visit pestworld.org. A public service message from the National Pest Management Association. This is Columbus Perspective on the Fan. Back to Doug Petcash, courtesy of 10TV. Welcome back to Face the State. I'm Doug Petcash. October is Breast Cancer Awareness Month. Unfortunately, far too many people are well aware of the disease because they or someone they know has had it beat it, or maybe died from it. The American Cancer Society says breast cancer is the most common cancer in women in the United States. For 2023, the society estimates more than 350,000 women will be diagnosed with breast cancer, not including recurrences. These are new cases. Nearly 44,000 women will die from the disease. Although much rarer, breast cancer does affect men. The Cancer Society estimates there will be 2,800 new breast cancer cases among men and 530 deaths. The overall risk of a woman developing breast cancer in her lifetime is 13%. That's a one in eight chance, but 
Flip that. That also means there's a 7 in 8 chance she won't get breast cancer. And experts are working every day to make those odds even better. Researchers and doctors are developing new treatments and cures. And organizations are working to give patients, survivors, and families the support they need. Joining me today are Dr. Bhuvana Ramaswamy, oncologist and professor at the James Cancer Center here in Columbus, and Alyssa Petrella, the CEO of Central, uh, or the executive director of um, Komen, Susan G. Komen Foundation for Central Ohio. Thank you both for being here today. Really appreciate it. Uh, Dr. Ramaswamy, let me yeah. start with you. What are the guidelines today in terms of women getting mammograms? Yeah. I know, and I think first thing to say is that it's a little bit confusing because each one of the different you know, uh, societies have a little bit slightly different um, you know, guidelines. But what I would say is each woman particularly from the age of 40 or even before, based on their family history, should know their risk first. Are they belonging to the average risk or are they belonging to higher risk? Higher risk would be somebody who's, you know, got a very strong family history of breast cancer or, you know, uh, um, and, and, and uh, has other risk factors like obesity and things like that. They need to be understanding of their own, you know, risk factors. And then in addition to that, right now, in, in the U.S., you are able to get an annual mammogram from the age of 40. You can get it every other year until 44, and then between you know 44 to 54, you are supposed to get annual mammogram every year, and after that, you could consider taking it every other year. But potentially, we recommend that they get an annual mammogram every year, and usually our insurance covers, so it is an important thing because one thing with breast cancer, why is this so important? Getting the cancer early increases the cure rates. Mm -hmm. So hence screening is very important and not wait till you palpate a tumor or something like that. That was going to be my next question about early detection, and you just hit it there. So, Alyssa, um, how does Susan G. Komen help women who maybe don't have insurance or can't afford mammograms be able to get them for that early detection? Sure. So we have um, a patient, a helpline with patient navigators who are ready to help women find the resources that can get them into the screening. It prepares them for where to go, who to see, and if you're facing something like you're not insured or your insurance isn't covering something that you need, we can help you find the resource to, to cover that gap, right? So here in Ohio, we have the breast and cervical cancer program for eligible women that can be covered through that, which is a state-funded um, program. So there are a lot of options, and Komen's just really dedicated to knowing those options and making sure you, we can relay them to you when you need them. Okay, and uh, Dr. Ramaswamy, does breast cancer strike um, different groups differently? Yeah, it does. I mean, you know, we still have a slightly higher proportion of uh, Caucasian women developing breast cancer. African-American women used to have a little bit lower, but they're actually coming up in the, the amount of, uh, uh, the number of breast cancer, you know, events. And Hispanics and Asians and, and things are lower than that. So it does have racial disparity. It does have the family history as well as genetic, you know, Ashkenazi. Jews have a higher risk of developing breast cancer because they have the founder mutations for breast cancer development. And, uh, of course, your, your, one of the things that we've been ignoring for years and kind of, uh, 
not not because of anything else we are looking more at therapeutics is looking at lifestyle factors drinking a lot of a lot of alcohol um, also you know women who are uh, very sedentary and obese and you know it's really that sedentary part is very mm. important and also in postmenopausal women those who take hormone replacement therapy have a higher risk so there are areas that we know are of higher risk uh, but i think you know making a availability is there we have screening mammograms it it uh, we have to get it done and so that is the most important thing a woman can do and i want to talk about your research specifically mm-hmm. in just a moment but first Alyssa, how does uh, Su- susan g Komen support research into breast cancer treatments cures and, sure uh, so since its founding about 40 years ago Komen has put $1 billion plus dollars into research. We're second only to the U.S. government. Um, and it's really focusing on what where the dollars need to go in that research, right? What's the research that's going to drive saving lives and the next sort of science that needs to drive us forward in where we are with breast cancer and treating patients today. So that's where Komen has really spent a lot of time and, and where they transition and evolve over the years as well. And um, Dr. Ramaswamy, right here in Columbus, you were doing some research on the biology of tumors that are resistant to hormone treatments. Yes. Um, what are you looking for and hoping to accomplish with that research? Yeah. So one of, I mean, I have a lab and we do two or three big projects, but one project is looking at resistance to anti-estrogen therapy. And this is particularly in in a a very uh, 10 to 15 percent of all cancers are lobular cancers, invasive lobular cancers. So they're a little less in number. So most of the work is done in ductal cancers. I know it's big words, but Mm -hmm. basically those are histological, you know, differences. But so all the work that is done in the ductal cancer is kind of transferred to lobular cancer, although it's molecularly very different. So I'm doing a lot of work on lobular cancers, which are kind of unmet need for those patients who get a lot of late recurrence. They're very slow-growing cancer, but they kind of wake up after some time and, and, and then come back and you know, give a lot of trouble. So I'm working on those. I'm trying to understand what makes them resistance and stay dormant and what wakes them up and how can we overcome this resistance. That's what I'm working on. Okay. And also, um, Alyssa, I guess as we uh, have uh, another minute left or so, what is the big message that you want to get out all year long, but in particular in October? Certainly. Well, I think for us, it's just knowing that Komen is here to support you. So please take advantage of the helpline, whether it's to um, get support for yourself. If you are supporting a patient, we can provide so many resources for women and families throughout Ohio and throughout the country. And for you, Dr. Ramaswamy, your final Same message. Thing. To yeah. And I, I think everyone should, first of all, understand that, you know, early detection of breast cancer have the highest chance of cure. I'm not saying all can be cured, all early breast cancers, but it has the highest probability. So make sure you are you know, talking to your doctor, getting those screening mammograms, and look at lifestyle changes as well. That's what I would say. Thank you very much, Dr. Ramaswamy, mm-hmm. Alyssa Petrella. Thank you for coming in today. Okay. Such an important topic, too. Yes, thank you. Well, still ahead on Face the State, how Goodwill is helping people get good jobs in a growing field that needs a lot of good workers. We're here to help people find their first or next best job. And while there's a lot of momentum, economic momentum in central Ohio right now, employers are still looking for good employees. And Goodwill, being one of the largest nonprofit workforce providers, uh, which most people don't know, uh, we're here to help employers find good employees. 
Hey, this is Grace Gostet. I'm a singer-songwriter, and like many, I've been traumatized by years of bullying. You're ugly. You're stupid. You're gay. You're worthless. Bullying causes real harm and can result in severe long-term depression, anxiety, addiction, and even self-harm. I created the Black Box Project for anyone who has ever felt different for any reason. Go to theblackboxproject.org to help you take the first step to healing. You are not alone. This is Columbus Perspective on the Fan. Back to Doug Petcash, courtesy of 10TV. Back in early September, the snipping of supersized scissors marked the opening of the new Goodwill Columbus Job Training Center in East Columbus. Governor Mike DeWine and other leaders cut the ribbon on the 10,000-square-foot center at Goodwill's Bryce Road location. Goodwill says the center will offer broadband-related training courses to fill an estimated 32,000 network infrastructure jobs. And that training will be offered for free. Joining me now is Goodwill Columbus CEO Ryan Burgess. Ryan, you know, I think you were the very first interview I ever did when I joined 10TV, so it's well, good to see I'm you honored, again. I'm honored, Doug. Thanks. Good and to thank, see you again. And thanks for being here today. Sure. So what kind of training is that the new job training center offering? Yeah, um, so maybe to take a quick step back, um, folks that are watching might be thinking, okay, Goodwill, what job training, what, how does that yeah. make any sense? Um, and this goes back to our founding in 1902 in Boston when uh, Reverend Helms put together a business model where he went to neighbors, gave them burlap sacks, said, hey, give us your excess goods. He would take those goods, sell them, and the funds that he would generate, he would use for job training programs for all the immigrants that were coming into okay. our country. So Goodwill is one of the largest nonprofit workforce providers in the country. About a million people come through our doors every year. 80% of those individuals have a high school degree or less. 60% represent a racial or ethnic minority. Uh, veterans, formerly incarcerated individuals. And then kind of our legacy here in Columbus is serving the disabilities community. So that's, that's a little bit of background why yeah. Goodwill is in the job training business. So, to, uh, so to, for this center, that's yeah, the so, focus. So, so to, to answer your question, this focus is around broadband training. is one of the programs that we'll offer. But uh, individuals will also be able to access all of our job training programs that we have there. But uh, the particular focus of this job training center will be to support the broadband infrastructure needs that this state and our region has. And the need is pretty great. Yes. Um, as I mentioned, um, there could be a need for 32,000 workers for broadband related dro- uh, jobs. Is that a direct result of like the new businesses we're seeing or just the direction of technology yeah. in our society? Yeah, I, I do think it's a, a sign of the times. We live in a global and digital economy and folks need to have access to the internet. And so these are the broadband technicians. These are the folks that put the infrastructure in place to make sure we all have access uh, to the digital world that we live in. I've been thinking about this a lot lately over the past couple months as we've opened the job training center. This is kind of akin to 100 years ago when when our country embarked on kind of electrification of rural areas. Those are the folks that put in place the infrastructure that we needed to grow our country. Uh, this is very similar, where these technicians are kind of like those lines. My grandfather was a linesman for a rural co-op. Um, and these folks are just like that, where they're building the infrastructure to allow all of our residents, both in rural areas as well as urban areas, to access the digital economy. And so um, how, if somebody's interested in, you know, 
pursuing one of these jobs, a yeah. new career, how would they go about making that contact to get to get into a class? Yeah, well, we're partnering with a, a number of folks, the Governor's Office of Workforce Transformation, Ohio State, Columbus State, the Workforce Board of Central Ohio. So there's a number of ways people can kind of enter into this program. But the easiest way, if they like, is to just Google or, or uh, find our website, goodwillcolumbus.org, and you will find all the information about all the job training programs that we offer. And um, the other question I have for you, too, is how is this uh, able to be offered for free? Yeah. So this kind of goes back to our, our business model where we run multiple enterprises generating revenue and funding for a lot of the programs that we provide in our neighborhoods and communities. With this particular program, we are receiving some funding. We received some very generous uh, funding from the state legislature with the support of the governor to build out this job training center. And through our other partners, we are re receiving some resources from them to provide the funding to offer these programs for free. And ultimately, how many people do you think will be able to be pushed through the, the Yeah, process? well, as you, as you mentioned earlier, they're looking for over 30,000 folks to take these positions. So we're going to do everything we can to produce as many broadband technicians as possible. Ryan Burgess, CEO of Goodwill Columbus, thank you so much. And we'll see how this grows over time. Appreciate well. it. Good to see you. Thank you so much, sir. Well, thank you for joining us here for Face the State today. I'm Doug Petcash. I hope you have a great day and a great week. We'll see you next time. Once again, Doug Petcash, courtesy of our sister station, WBNS 10 TV, from his Sunday morning public affairs program, Face the State. A new edition can be seen this morning at 1130 on 10 TV. Up next on Columbus Perspective, I'll talk with a doctor about COPD. We put our lives on the line for our country. We braved the unknown. We did what we were told. And we lit up. Our cigarette packs were as valuable as the packs on our back. Maybe more. At one point, cigarettes were part of our daily ration. Smoke them if you got them. And boy, we were smoking them. Humming a smoke was the norm. It was an escape from the reality of dirt, sweat, and forgetting how many days you were so far from home. Never had to worry so long as you had a light. And the smoking lamp was lit. If that was you then, get your lungs screened now. Surviving lung cancer starts with a scan. Learn more at ScreenYourLungs.org. And thank you for your service. This PSA was made possible by industry funding and guidance from lung cancer patient groups. This is Columbus Perspective on the Fan. About 800,000 Ohioans have COPD, cardiopulmonary obstructive disease, and it causes about 6,300 deaths each year in Ohio. Here to talk about it is Dr. Bobby Mahajan, who is the Medical Director of Interventional Pulmonology for the American Lung Association. Thanks for talking to us, doctor. What can you tell us about COPD? 
cha the challenges we run into are trying to educate individuals about COPD. Um, and what we try and do every year is release a uh, report talking state by state about the incidence of COPD and the different ways to uh, improve outcomes with patients or patients with COPD. And I understand that Ohio is one of those states where COPD is pretty uh, prominent. Yeah, you know, this is close to my heart because I grew up in Ohio, in Toledo, Ohio. So um, when I look at uh, Ohio, we're at about 8.6% 8 prevalence of COPD, where the rest of the country is averaged about 5%. And that is, you know, higher than where we want to be. And part of that is related to the degree of smoking that occurs in Ohio. It's not just in metropolitan areas, it's something in rural areas as well, which, as you know, uh, Ohio has a, a number of. What is uh, COPD compared to, say, emphysema? How are they different? Why are they different? Which is worse? And that kind of thing. No, that's a great question. I think sometimes it can be confusing. COPD is really an umbrella term which encompasses both emphysema and chronic, and, uh, chronic bronchitis. Emphysema is more overinflation of the lungs, I guess, that occurs from cigarette smoking that destroys the small airways and air sacs. Whereas chronic bronchitis, again, also has that injury to those, those small air sacs, but also results in a lot of sputum production. Um, so when we look at COPD in general, that encompasses both. And really, both disease processes can be really debilitating to people who smoke. And that's why it's important to, one, stop smoking if you do smoke, or to never start in the first place. What are the symptoms, and, and do they start really early before it gets bad, or how does that work? You know, it, the, the symptoms are typically just shortness of breath on exertion when they're doing daily activities like um, walking around the house, grocery shopping, getting dressed. But over time, with chronic use of uh, tobacco, um, and cigarette smoking, those, those symptoms get worse and worse to the point where, honestly, patients say they don't even want to go out of their house because they're afraid of their shortness of breath or they can't play with their grandkids because they're too short of breath. Um, and what we're realizing and learning more and more with chronic obstructive pulmonary disease, COPD, um, is that, you know, there are really good treatment options, but in a lot of cases, people aren't even aware they have COPD. So we really kind of stress to uh, patients and, and individuals in the community is to be an advocate for yourself. Talk to your physician about the fact that you've smoked for a long time and get testing like pulmonary function testing or spirometry, which are essentially kind of testing of the lung function to see if people have COPD. Is there any kind of a screening that would show up on an MRI or a, a, an x-ray or anything like that? Yeah, when people get an x-ray, they can see overinflated lungs, which is, you know, really debilitating, and that's what we see uh, for COPD. But really the best uh, kind of indicator of COPD is, one, symptoms with a long history of smoking, and then pulmonary function tests where doctors will have you breathe into a small machine and will show how much gas is actually trapped in your lungs, which is really, you know, pathognomonic or indicative um, of COPD. So that's really the first step, not just saying how do we treat it, but identifying it and diagnosing it first. Talking with Dr. Bobby Mahajan with the American Lung Association, what about kids and vaping these days? You know, we hear stories about how vaping isn't good, but it's not as bad as regular cigarettes. You know, I, I think that we hear a lot of uh, news and kind of hearsay about vaping and smoking, but the first thing to remember is that you never want to inhale anything into your lungs that isn't supposed to go in there. Um, the lungs are one of the few organs that are exposed to the air on a regular basis. 
um, and they're always already exposed to pollution. So vaping, even though it might not have the same toxins as cigarette smoking, is still irritating to your lungs and can have long-term effects. The second thing that we really worry about even more so is that, frankly, people who start vaping typically will graduate to cigarette smoking, uh, which is kind of a gateway drug we talk about with regards to developing emphysema. So vaping, although people will say it's not as bad, can have the same effects. And honestly, we don't have the long-term uh, data on what happens when people smoke, vape for a long time. But we do know it's a very similar disease process just uh, cigarette smoking. Ohio uh, in November will be voting on the legalization of recreational marijuana. So let's say there's somebody who's in his 60s who has COPD, maybe not real bad yet, but who yeah. maybe has aches and pains that might be treated by marijuana and they prefer smoking it rather than the edibles and all that kind of stuff. What would you say? So another great question. I think that what we look into, just like vaping, it's hard to determine what the long-term effects of inhalation of anything that's not supposed to be inhaled. So marijuana smoke, although has less toxins typically um, than uh, tobacco smoke, we run into an issue that it still causes inflammation um, into the lungs. So uh, especially someone who already has emphysema, the lungs themselves are already damaged. So putting other toxins or any other kind of smoke into the lungs can make things worse. So in that case, if we're going to move in that direction, uh, I think edibles is probably a better option than inhaling. But again, it's hard to tell uh, what the long-term effects of marijuana smoke will be. As uh, we head toward the winter time, is it is this disease different in the winter than the summer? So there, there are different individuals who have different responses to different weather, especially. So cold weather or irritants can sometimes exacerbate or make people's COPD worse. But really what we worry about in the winter times is that people are typically staying inside more, especially in Ohio, it's cold. And when you're inside together with other people, you have a higher risk of having different types of viral infections. Now, in the last three years, we've obviously all experienced the, the burden of COVID. But when people with emphysema or COPD have exposures to um, viral infections, they also can get exacerbations. And those underlying exacerbations, especially in the setting of lung disease, can be more severe. So what we try and stress to people with emphysema is not only obviously inform your doctors if your breathing is getting worse, but make sure you get the appropriate vaccination like the COVID vaccine, the flu vaccine, and now even the RSV vaccine if you qualify. So we try and prepare people in any way they can for the winter because of those risks. And what about COVID and the flu as it uh, pertains to COPD? COVID and the flu can be obviously very dangerous with individuals with COPD, mainly because of the fact they already have some degree of lung dysfunction. By putting COVID on top of that, by putting C uh, the flu on top of that, it can not only exacerbate those uh, underlying conditions, but also we know obviously with COVID and the flu that there's a higher risk of death associated with those. So the best way to prevent that obviously is to have a, an action plan um, if in, for individuals that have COPD, meaning that they have a way of connecting or talking to their doctor if they feel like their symptoms are getting worse. But again, most important is getting those approved, appropriate vaccinations that not only will help prevent the disease, but sometimes even with vaccinations, people can get COVID or the flu. But what we know is that people who have been vaccinated have a lesser degree or a lesser severity of that infection, and they typically do better than those who are not vaccinated. Talking with Dr. Bobby Mahajan with the American Lung Association. Anything else you'd like to add? 
Well, I think that what we really try and stress is for individuals to educate themselves is to go to the American Lung Association website, lung.org, to get information about emphysema, about chronic bronchitis, the different vaccinations, and also what people can do who have COPD to protect themselves as we enter into the colder month. Okay, doctor, good information. Uh, thanks so much for your time today. Oh, I appreciate it. Thank you for having me. This has been Columbus Perspective, a weekly public affairs presentation of The Fan. Heard each Sunday morning at 6 on WBNS AM. That's 1460 ESPN Columbus. And Sunday morning at 7 on WBNS FM. Sports Radio 97.1 The Fan. Join us again next Sunday for Columbus Perspective.